Okay, so we're on our recording here and uh, we're on Facebook Live. Okay, as well, we're on YouTube, I should say, and then we'll be on Facebook Live, our Facebook fan page, uh, the African History Network, shortly. All right, how's everybody doing? Hey, this is Michael M. Hotep, founder of the African History Network, um, host of the African History Network show. And uh, we're broadcasting today. It is um, Saturday, June 17th, 2017. And uh, we are live today, trying to work through some technical difficulties. I see a lot of people watching the video that I did. Um, uh, the cop who killed Philando Castile found not found not guilty and it's time for economic boycotts i see uh, a lot of people watching that video so share that also share this broadcast here uh that we're doing live on your youtube uh youtube page and when we broadcast on our facebook fan page the african history network share it there also the african history network uh on facebook all right okay so uh this broadcast here uh, what i'm going to do is uh I'm going to do an overview of an online class that I teach called Ancient Kemet, the Moors and the Ma'afa, understanding the transatlantic slave trade, what they didn't teach you in school, understanding the transatlantic slave trade, what they didn't teach you in school. We're going to teach it uh, uh, a session of it tonight, uh, about 8 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. We'll go to about 9.30, maybe 10. Okay. And so we're going to do an overview of that. And then also I'm going to talk about a historical event. This time of the year, um, some sources say June 17th, some say June 25th, was the start of an economic boycott uh, that a lot of people don't know about. OK, it was the start of an economic boycott that a lot of people don't know about. OK, and this was um, the beginning of the Tuskegee boycott. All right. The Tuskegee boycott. Now, a lot of people in Tuskegee, Alabama. Now, a lot of people are familiar uh, with the Montgomery bus boycott in Montgomery, Alabama. OK. And we know that lasted 381 days. OK. And it started uh, December 5th, 1955, lasted December 20th, 1956. Well, the Tuskegee boycott lasted four years. Starts in 1957. The Tuskegee boycott lasts four years. And a lot of our people don't know anything about it. And with the recent events, and if you watch the video uh, that I did um, dealing with um, uh, Philando Castile and uh, uh, Officer Geronimo Yanis uh, being found uh, not guilty, okay, and being released, he was fired from the police department. That's a good thing, but he sh I really think uh, he should have been found uh, not guilty. OK, in that case. Well, when we look at this, um, you see African-Americans using uh, economic boycotts uh, throughout our history. OK, to fight against white supremacy and racism. We see African-Americans using economic boycotts throughout our history to uh, fight against white supremacy and racism. All right. And uh, on, on many different fronts. And uh, if you saw the video that I did, it was about two hours and five minutes dealing with Philando Castile. Um, you see that I, I talked about uh, different economic withdrawal strategies that we can implement. OK, well, this is a historical example of this. And a lot of people don't don't know about this. Uh, also, I encourage you to read the article that I wrote because I write articles. Also, I'm a talk show host, researcher, lecturer, writer. Uh, I have uh, uh, 
dozens of video clips on our YouTube channel. Uh, here you're watching this on the MJ Rob 1914 YouTube channel. Uh, I'm in six documentaries right now. I'll be filming my seventh documentary uh, coming up uh, July, uh, third weekend in July, I'll be in Atlanta for the Black Homeschooling Conference. I'll be filming my portion of Black Friday Part 2, What Legacy Will You Leave? from director Rick Mathis. Uh, I'm in the Elementary Genocide Part 3 documentary that's about to come out from uh, director Raheem Shabazz. I'm in there with Professor Kaba Hiawatha Kamene, Professor James Small. Uh, and also, uh, I'm in the documentary um, Resurrecting Black Wall Street, The Blueprint from Dr. Boyce Watkins, Your Black World Films, and director Dorian Chandler. Those are just a few of the documentaries I'm in. Um, hey, check out the article that I wrote. I wrote this December 15th, 2015. Why did Dr. King tell us to redistribute the pain, understanding the power of economic withdrawal? Why did Dr. King tell us to redistribute the pain, understanding the power of economic withdrawal okay and you can um um read all of my articles at my website africanhistorynetwork.com africanhistorynetwork.com go there read all of my articles all of my um dvd presentations dvd lectures things like that are available there as well okay you can register for our online course there also okay so um the tuskegee boycott of uh it starts in june 1957 right so African-Americans began uh, to boycott city stores in Tuskegee, Alabama, as a way to protest against the law that prohibit, prohibited African-Americans, um, of prohibit them of municipal votes by strategically placing their homes uh, just outside of city limits. OK, so this is an example of gerrymandering and this is an example of the tricks that Europeans implemented to try to. Uh, keep us from uh, being able to vote. All right. And if you um, heard the show that I did uh, this past um, Thursday uh, on uh, the morning show here in Detroit, 9, 10 a.m., the Superstation, Wake Up with Steve Hood. I'm on the I do radio here in Detroit. Uh, I'm on the morning show every Thursday morning, uh, 7 a.m. to 8 a.m. Eastern Standard Time. And um I'm on uh, Wake Up with Steve Hood. That's the morning show here in Detroit. And we talked about this, okay? And we talked about how in uh, 1962, Megger Evers uh, led an economic boycott in um, Jackson, Mississippi. Okay, Jackson, Mississippi. And I talked about uh, Megger Evers because June 12th was the anniversary of the uh, murder of Megger Evers, okay, by Byron, uh, Byron Della Beckwith, okay, a white supremacist, uh, Byron Della Beckwith, all right? So, um, and one of the things they were fighting for in Jackson, Mississippi, and in the state of Mississippi, was for uh, African Americans to actually uh, gain the right to vote and not have to um, recite the... Um, 200 not have to be able to be knowledgeable of the 286 um, sections of the Mississippi state uh, constitution, different things like this, right? Because this was one of the things that they had to um, uh, be knowledgeable of, be ready to recite for the, uh, for the white uh, registrars when they, when they went to try to go and vote. Okay. If you watch, 
eyes on the prize section uh installment number five eyes on the prize installment number five when they deal with uh it's about 1962 to 1964 something like this okay there were 286 uh sections um to the mississippi uh state constitution or code or something like this and the uh register white registrars that you had to go to get the registration form from to be able to vote fill it out etc they would pick one of these sections and you'd have to explain it to their satisfaction even though many of these white men they were mainly men even though many of these white men that you had explained it to were illiterate and but they could vote okay so these are some of the games that uh they were playing with us back at those times and they're playing these games again and you study republicans and i've talked about this before unfortunately a lot of our people are not knowledgeable of what republicans are doing right now to suppress the vote and this is this is strictly coming from republicans trying to suppress our vote this past 2016 election cycle there were 13 new states that had new voter id laws this is all pushed by republicans Okay, I need a Democrat and a Republican, but I, I'm, I, I see the people who are uh, passing legislation that d does us harm, and they're almost exclusively Republicans. If you actually study, I'm not going by perception. Okay, I'm dealing with facts and evidence. Okay, so um, when we look at this uh, economic boycott here from um, 1957, all right, so. You have African-Americans fighting against gerrymandering, all right? Their homes were being strategically placed outside of the city limits, okay, to nullify their vote. Now, they, the African-Americans uh, had a majority. They made up the majority of Tuskegee, Alabama, the population. Now, whites mostly owned the businesses and held the municipal offices, okay, uh, in Tuskegee, Alabama. African-Americans began a voter registration drive with the Tuskegee uh, Institute, which is now Tuskegee University. We know about Tuskegee University and, and Booker T. Washington. And also, um, uh, sometimes people forget that um, uh, George, Dr. George Washington Carver was at Tuskegee as well. All right. So. Um, you have uh, African-Americans, they begin a voter registration drive um, with uh, Tuskegee Institute, which is not Tuskegee University. And this obtains some success, this voter registration drive. Yet the Alabama state legislature redrew the Tuskegee town boundaries, Tuskegee, Alabama. They withdrew the Tuskegee town boundaries that excluded Tuskegee Institute. Now, in response to this, African African Americans fought back against white supremacy with economic withdrawal strategies, with economic boycotts. They focused on redistributing the pain, redistributing the pain. In April 3rd, 1968, in his last speech, I've been to the mountaintop. Uh, Dr. King said that we have to always anchor our external direct action with the power of economic withdrawal. He said we have to always anchor our external direct action with the power of economic withdrawal. And this is what I explain to Black Lives Matter activists and other activists, because I've interviewed them on my radio shows. I've done national radio uh, for two or three years. Uh, 
used to guest host for Roland Martin on his national radio show dozens of times uh, on my show, the Michael M. Hotep show. I used to do on the Empowerment Radio Network. Then also uh, I do uh, uh, the African History Network show here out of Detroit on 9, 10 a.m. The Superstation WFDF. And uh, uh, one of the things I tell uh, the activists is that you have to engage in economic targeted, sustained economic withdrawal strategies. OK. And targeting white owned banks is, is a very, very good start because we have alternatives to white owned banks. We have African-American owned banks uh, and African-American owned credit unions. Uh, so uh, Dr. King said that we have to always anchor our external action uh, with the power of economic withdrawal. And this is what they did in 1957. So African-Americans would end up making uh, an 80, 80 mile uh, round trips to Montgomery to buy food, clothes, and other necessities. Okay, they end up making uh, eighty-mile round trips uh, to uh, to go to Montgomery, Alabama. Okay, to buy food, clothes, and other necessities because they were boycotting the uh, white stores in Tuskegee, Alabama. Now, this economic boycott effectively created devastating economic consequences for Europeans who preferred to go out of business rather than allow African-Americans the right to vote. They would rather go out of business to uh, allow African-Americans the right to vote. And when you study this period of time in Mississippi, you study this period of time in Alabama, you find out about the white citizens councils, the white citizens councils and the white citizens councils were very, very powerful. Okay, the white citizens councils were very, very powerful and the white citizens councils worked hard to suppress the African-American vote and to keep us from voting. OK. And if you study um, who killed Megra Evers, June 12, 1963, it was Byron Della And Byron Della was a member of the white citizens council. He was a member of the white citizens council and the white citizens council. You know, they're going to be made up of bankers, landowners, plantation owners, things like this. And in Mississippi, for instance, if you go study um, Fannie Lou Hamer, who comes out of Mississippi, Fannie Lou Hamer was fired from the plantation that she and her family worked on. She was one, she was the youngest of about 19 children. Fannie Lou Hamer, imagine that, oh my God. <laughs> she was the youngest of about 19 children. And they were sharecroppers. They all worked on the plantation. OK, well, she was um, fired from the plantation that they um, worked on because not because she voted, but because she registered to vote. And what happened was to keep African-Americans from registering to vote. What they would do is uh, if you had a loan outstanding with the bank or something like that, they would call that loan in. If you registered to vote, you could get fired from your job. You can get fired off of the plantation that you worked on. You could be beaten up, possibly killed, all different types of things like this. OK, so um, we have to understand a lot, a lot of people, even today, a lot of African, African-Americans still don't understand the power of the African-American vote. Now, white Republicans do. This is why they fear the power of the African-American vote. And this is why they work so hard to suppress our vote in this past election. If you study the cross-checking system, uh, uh, Google cross-checking and Chris Kobach, I think it's K-O-B-A-C-H, Google cross-checking 
and Chris Kobach because the cross-checking system was used to wipe 1.1 million people off the voter rolls, most of them uh, people of color. It was used to wipe 1.1 million people off the voter rolls, most of them people of color. And what they did was they targeted people who they thought had ethnic sounding names, number one. Number two, um, people who they thought were predisposed to vote Democratic. And the cross-checking system was used in about 28 states across the country. And what they said was, was that they said that there were three and a half million people who were voting illegally and registered in two states. So they said that James Brown in Detroit was the same James Brown in Cleveland, Ohio. And they will wipe them off the voter registration rolls. So when they should go to show up to register to vote, I mean, not to register to vote, to actually vote, their name's not in the system, anything like that. They wipe out the voter rolls. And this is designed to discourage people from voting. This is what happened in 2016 election. A lot of our people don't understand what just happened. OK, if your vote didn't matter, Ohio would not have taken the case to the U.S. Supreme Court, which is not cheap to go through the appellate courts and go all the way to the U.S. Supreme Court to white African-Americans off the voter rolls. OK. Um, and if you check out the article from AtlantaBlackStar.com, and uh, this article is called uh, How to Get Rid of Seven Million African-American Latino Votes Without Anyone Noticing. Because so many of our people are sidetracked watching love and hip hop, uh, you know, uh, Real Housewives of Atlanta, you know, watching things like this, trying to keep up with the Kardashians. And following the latest people are caught, caught while this stuff is taking place right in front of our faces. And many of our people don't understand that this is taking place. Okay. So this is real. This is not conspiracy. This is real. You can, this is documented. You can go research this. This is documented. All right. So I'm not sure why we're not broadcasting on uh, um, Facebook Live. This is giving me a problem. All right. But anyway, we'll continue here. Okay. So um, the boycott ended in 1961 after four years. Okay, now these African-Americans had an economic boycott. They were fighting back against white supremacy because they understood the power of their vote. And Europeans understood the power of their vote because that's why they were trying to keep them from voting. Today, Republicans understand the power of our vote. This is why they're going to court to suppress our vote. We don't understand the power of our vote when we just sit back, let them beat the hell out of us. Don't even know what the hell's going on. Don't don't even all this stuff is taking place right around us. Don't even understand what's going on. So the boycott ends in 1961 after four years. The U.S. Supreme Court ruled in the case uh, Gomillion versus Lightfoot, G-O-M-I-L-L-I-O-N, Gomillion versus Lightfoot. They ruled that gerrymandering district. Constitutional and the old town boundaries were restored, okay? This is a landmark case, Gomillion versus Lightfoot. And I was reading some different articles about this case today and yesterday as well. Uh, Gomillion, this, this goes to the US Supreme Court, Gomillion versus Lightfoot. They ruled that gerrymandering districts 
to read to restrict African Americans from voting is unconstitutional, and the old town boundaries were restored. Okay, so this is this is a little known victory, uh, in civil rights history. This is something that's not talked about. There were a lot of economic boycotts that took place that we need to study. We need to understand the anatomy of a boycott. Okay, I'm going to deal with this a little bit more. We, I may have time to talk about this on, on Sunday on my show. Uh, I'm on uh, 9 p.m. to 11 p.m. Eastern Standard Time on 9, 10 a.m. The Superstation, the Voice of Detroit, the African History Network show. And uh, if you go to our website, um, AfricanHistoryNetwork.com, AfricanHistoryNetwork.com, uh, we have information there how to listen to the show. Right. I just want to give you some more information about this case because this is something that we really need to study especially in light of what happened um in the case of philando castile and officer geronimo yanis uh being found not guilty okay now i saw on am joy everybody watch am joy with joanne reed uh saturdays and sundays 10 a.m to 12 noon okay uh, okay, and we have the live chat here. Sorry. Okay, this is like I think this may be my second or third time broadcasting on YouTube Live. Okay, uh, so we have all eyes on media watching. Uh, we have Eli Jocks, uh, Boards in the Hood, uh, said Black Power. Uh, Eli said hi, Felicia McCray. Good evening. Uh, all eyes said you can be heard. Okay, so. How y'all doing there? Now I know where the chat is. Usually I broadcast on Facebook Live. I wanted to do it uh, here on YouTube because I'm trying to use YouTube more. But um, I see the chat here. So that's good. Okay. All right. So how's everybody doing? And uh, we'll post our website here. And actually here, we'll post a link here. Uh, you can register for the online class. I'm going to teach uh, this evening, Ancient Kemet, the Moors, and the Ma'afa. Understanding the transatlantic slave trade, what they didn't teach you in school. Ancient Kemet, the Moors, and the Ma'afa. Understanding the transatlantic slave trade, what they didn't teach you in school. We just posted the link, and here's our website also, AfricanHistoryNetwork.com, AfricanHistoryNetwork.com. All right. Okay, so. Um, all right. So let's continue here. OK, so in 1957, in the effort to frustrate increasing black voter registration and the threat of losing white voter majority, Alabama State Senator Sam Englehart sponsored Act Number 140, Act Number 140, which proposed to transform the Tuskegee city boundaries from a square into a 28 sided shape resembling a seahorse. The, to, to, to transform the boundaries of, to, of the city of Tuskegee from a square into a 28-sided shape resembling a seahorse. Uh, that included every single one of the uh, 60 white voters and excluded all but five of the 40 uh, African-American voters, okay? This included every single one of the 600 white voters, okay, in this, in this, district that they're trying to redo and excluded all except five of the 400 African-American voters. Now in Tuskegee, Alabama, back at this time, African-Americans were the majority population. Okay. And this is what the minority population was doing to 
maintain control, maintain power. So uh, state sent Alabama State Senator Sam Inglehart, who was a plantation owner and an executive secretary of the Alabama Association of the White Citizens Council. You got to study the White Citizens Council because a lot of people focus on the Ku Klux Klan. But the White Citizens Council had political power and they were terrorizing us also. And they had White Citizens Councils in different states in the South. So State Senator uh, Sam Englehart explained, quote, the folks up there feel like I do. Civil rights legislation is going to pass the United States Senate either this year or the next. And we're going to be prepared for it. We couldn't stand seeing a Negro in the Alabama state legislature. OK, so this is in 1957. Now, for years, Alabama had quite successfully discouraged and thwarted African-American voter registration. But with new civil rights legislation threatening to make disenfranchisement more difficult, the Alabama state legislature decided to deliver a preemptory assault on black self-determination. So despite appeals to prominent African-American community members to the city, uh, to the city council there in Tuskegee, Alabama, and to the county commission, the Alabama legislature's committee uh, on local legislation as well. They made appeals to them and even a direct appeal to the voters in an open letter in the Montgomery Advertiser. OK, the Montgomery Advertiser thing is a newspaper there. Uh, this was on June unanimously approved the bill, which was act number 140, act number 140. And on June 21st, 1957, the uh, state house of representatives in the state of Alabama followed suit with a vote of 80 to zero to enact act number 140, which would redraw the district lines to nullify the African-American vote and suppress the African-American vote in Tuskegee, Alabama, okay? And once again, in redrawing these district lines, what they were doing, this included uh, every single of the 600 white voters in this new district and excluded all except five of the 400 African-American voters who were registered to vote. They're trying to just totally nullify the vote, okay? and to also prevent more African-Americans from registering to vote. Now, in a city where the African-American population was more than quadruple the white population, okay? So you have 5,397 African-Americans who lived in the city of Tuskegee, Alabama at this time in 1957, compared to 1,310 white people. But the white people were in had political power and they're using laws to suppress the majority of African-Americans and to keep them from voting and nullify the political power that they had. Now, Frank Olin, O-A-L-I-N, who was a local, a local paint store manager and city council member, insisted, he said, quote, it's a matter of self-preservation. It's a matter of self-preservation. Negroes were about to outvote us and take over control of the city. See, they're fighting for white supremacy and racism by any means necessary. They understand the, the power in having political power. 
They understand the power of the vote. That's why they wanted to keep African-Americans from voting in 1957. That's why they tried to keep African-Americans from voting in 2016. That's why they tried to keep African-Americans from voting in the 2018. And after um, the uh, Shelby County versus Holder decision, which was a Supreme Court decision in 2013, which struck down Section 5 of the 1965 Voting Rights Act that people think uh, uh, um people most of our people don't even understand the voting rights act the 1965 and they think oh it was uh it was uh inconsequential really why did the u.s supreme court strike it down why did you have 13 new states that then had new voter id laws right after that was struck down and this past election cycle that took place was the first presidential election where the full power of the 1965 voting rights act did not exist because it was it was weakened we don't even understand what just happened. We, we're, we're, we're going backwards. And these draconian laws that Republicans are passing are setting us backwards. And we don't even understand what the hell is going on. We're, we're focusing on getting high and trying to metaphysically transport ourselves back to 3000 BC and ancient Kemet. Don't, e don't even understand they're whipping our asses politically. And we think politics doesn't matter. No, it does matter. This is why they're spending so much money to suppress our vote. It, you, you, if it didn't matter, explain to me why U.S. Senate Republicans right now, about 16 of them are behind closed doors crafting the Senate version of uh, Trump's Health Care Act. And. They're about to give a massive multi-billion dollar tax cut to the top one-tenth of one percent and kick 23 million people off of health care. The, the Walmart family is going to get about a $52 billion tax cut, probably about over about the next 10 years. It'll, it'll um, uh, average out to that. Okay. And this is from health care, which makes up uh, either one-fifth or one-sixth of the U.S. economy. All the social ills that almost all of the social ills that we deal with are the negative side effects of bad policy. Almost all of the social ills that we deal with are the negative side effects of bad policy. But we don't understand. Statutes, ordinances, amendments, treaties, the adoption, interpretation and enforcement. The writing of law, statutes, ordinances, amendments and treaties, their adoption, interpretation and enforcement. Number one. Number two, other way to understand politics is the legal distribution of scarce wealth, power and resources. The legal distribution of scarce wealth, power and resources. The legal distribution of scarce wealth, power and resources. Now, everybody understands this except us. OK, on YouTube, uh, all eyes on media said getting high and metaphysically transporting back to 3000 BC, LOL. Absolutely, that's what a lot of people are doing. See, your history and culture is supposed to help you to meet the needs and solve the problems of your community today and plan for the future. Your history and culture is supposed to help you meet the needs and solve the problems of your community today and help plan for the future. That's what your history and culture is supposed to help you do. The history and culture is not designed to uh, allow for escapism. Because many of our people are doing the same thing that we accuse many Christians of doing. Now, what I say may go outside the circumference of some people's awareness. Just because you never heard it before or disagree with it does not mean it's not true. It just means you have to do some research to understand what I'm talking about. Okay. So, 
uh, a lot of times you uh, we have a lot of our Christian brothers and sisters who are so heavenly bound and no earthly good. And that's so they're so focused on going to heaven. They're not focused on dealing with the problems of today. OK, well, you have some people in the so-called conscious community that are doing the same thing. You know, you have instead of wearing a cross, they're wearing an ankh. instead of saying hallelujah, they say hotel. But the history and culture is supposed to help you to meet the needs and solve the problems of the community today and plan for the future. Not to use it as escapism so you don't have to deal with the problems of today and plan for the future. OK, so. Um, you have Frank Olin, who's a local uh, paint store on paint store manager. And he was a city council member there in Tuskegee, Alabama. He's white. And he said, quote, it's a matter of self-preservation. It's a matter of self-preservation. Negroes were about to outvote us and take over control of the city. They understood what happened if they let African-Americans who made up the majority population in the city, they understood what happened. If they let them actually vote. Now, Senator Inglehart, State Senator Sam Inglehart, okay, uh, who was also a uh, member of the uh, White Citizens Council, okay, State Senator Sam Inglehart proudly boasted, he said, I gerrymandered those niggers right out of time. If that Civil Rights Commission comes down here and forces mass registration of unqualified Negroes, there'll there will be bloodshed if that quote if that civil rights commission comes down here and forces mass registration on unqualified negroes there will be bloodshed why he said why uh, uh we'd have negro we'd, we'd have niggers in office can you imagine being arrested by a nigger sheriff this is the climate that was existing in 1957 Tuskegee Alabama that our ancestors were fighting against he said listen to what this fool said now keep in mind a lot of white people who could vote were illiterate talk about unqualified people voting a lot of the white people who could vote were illiterate snuff dippers moonshine drinkers you know eating mayonnaise sandwiches he said if that Civil Rights Commission comes down here and forces mass registration of unqualified Negroes, there will be bloodshed. See, they understood the power of voting. They were willing to fight and kill for it. He said, he said, why? He said, we would have niggers in office. He said, can you imagine being arrested by a nigger sheriff? Now, in fact, quote unquote. Now, in fact, though, the educational level of making county African-Americans exceeded whites because of the influence of Tuskegee Institute and the, and the Chicago Daily Tribune went as far as saying that, quote, any educational test for voting, no matter how rigorous, is fairly applied, uh, would probably result in the enfranchising of more Negroes than whites in Macon County. Um, this is Macon County, uh, Alabama, I should say, Macon County, Macon County, Alabama. The African Americans were had a higher educational level than most of the white people there in that county because of Tuskegee Institute. 
okay and once again the person you getting the voter registration form from okay and have to go through whatever literacy tests and things like this a lot of them a lot of those white people were illiterate couldn't read once again any educational test for voting no matter how rigorous if fairly applied would probably result in the enfranchising of more negroes than whites in macon county now according to charles g gamolian i think that's i'm not exactly sure how to pronounce his last name it's spelled g-o-m-i-l-l-i-o-n gamolian um he was a dean at the tuskegee institute and president of the tuskegee civic association and we know tuskegee institute becomes tuskegee university right this is what Booker T. Washington was. But now Booker T. Washington is, is, is passed away at this time. He dies in 1915. Now, this was the um, th this was the straw. He said, quote, he, this was the, quote, straw that broke the camel's back, straw that broke the camel's back, quote unquote, already frustrated by the Macon Board of Registrars failure to register African-American voters. Uh, Charles G. Gomillion and several other african-american leaders decided to initiate a merchant boycott they were redistributing the pain through economic withdrawal strategies they were redistributing the pain through economic withdrawal strategies okay just four days after the house vote okay so this is the house vote the, the house vote took place on june 21st 1957 this instituted act number 140 okay and um uh it was act number 140 of the state legislature that uh gerrymandered uh the redistricting of the city of tuskegee alabama to be in favor of the, of the minority white voters okay so just four days after the house vote three thousand african americans gathered at butler chapel ame zion church Okay, that's a long name. You know, a lot of African American churches that are long names. Okay, 3,000 African Americans gathered at Butler Chapel AME Zion Church to join the Crusade for Citizenship. The Crusade for Citizenship. And uh, they went to listen to Charles G. Gamolian urge a quote, trade with friends, trade with friends, boycott of local white merchants, boycott of local white merchants. He vowed, quote, we are going to buy goods and services from those who help us, from those who make no effort to hinder us, from those who recognize us as first class citizens and not with those who would seek to devour us. OK, now, when you look at Megar Evers in the economic boycott Megar Evers had in Jackson, Mississippi in 1962, that fight of uh, this at the at the. At the same time, he's registering. He's working to register African-Americans to uh, get registered to vote. Right. He was the um, uh, first field secretary for the NAACP in the South. He was the field secretary in Mississippi. Now, this is very dangerous work. I mean, people can talk about the NAACP. They want to. But you got to understand in the South, if you were a member of the NAACP, you were targeted by white supremacists. OK, you could be killed for just being a member of the NAACP, let alone trying to get other African-Americans to register to vote. You understand how dangerous that was in Mississippi? 
See, a lot of our people talk about today what they would have done back then. They ain't even doing that stuff today, what they would have said that they'd done back then. They don't understand how dangerous the work was of a civil rights activist in Mississippi in the 1950s, 1960s. So uh, Charles G. Gamolian dealing with this economic boycott. He vowed, he said that, quote, we are going to buy goods and services from those who help us, from those who make no effort to hinder us, from those who recognize us as first class citizens and not with those who would seek to devour us. And when you study with Megar Evers and the economic boycott they had as well against the white merchants in, Mac in uh, Jackson, Mississippi, they were fighting for their rights to be first class citizens. Now, they did not think that if they could vote, that meant they were free. That's a misnomer. They did not think if they could vote, that meant they were free. But they understood that voting was something that free people did. They understood that voting was something that free people did. You have to understand, Megar Evers was somebody who fought in World War II. He was somebody who fought in World War II. He was denied entry to the um, um, University of Mississippi to go to law school, okay, uh, because of segregation. This was after the Supreme Court decision of Brown versus Board of, uh, Brown versus Board of Education, in 1954, and he's going to help James Meredith integrate University of Mississippi in um, 1962, I think it was, okay, in um, 1962. Okay, so. Um, All right. I think it was 62 with James Meredith. Okay, so uh, let me flip back here to YouTube. I'm monitoring a couple of different pages here. Okay, so just bear with me here on one person. And we're not broadcasting on Facebook Live, so I'm going to have to uh, rebroadcast this on Facebook Live. So how's everybody doing? Everybody watching? How's everybody doing? You learning anything? You enjoying it? Enjoying enjoying this information? Be sure to register for our online course. Also, uh, ancient Kemet, the Moors, and the Maafa, understanding the transatlantic slave trade. What they didn't teach you in school, understanding the transatlantic slave trade. What they didn't teach you in school, and um, we're gonna uh, teach a session of that um, either tonight or tomorrow night, depending upon the time. But you'll be able to watch the class I did last. Friday, as soon as you register, you'll be able to watch that. We'll have some bonus content there also. So the, the uh, it's a um, a 12-hour, six-week online course we teach on normally on Friday, 7 p.m. to 9 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. Because of the Philando Castile verdict in the case yesterday, I did a two-hour and five-minute broadcast. My mind wasn't I, – I wasn't mentally in the um, frame of mind to teach a class because I was pissed off. So I did that broadcast uh, yesterday and um, uh, I'm trying to do If we don't do the class tonight, we'll do it tomorrow. I'm uh, ran into some technical difficulties here, but we're going to continue here. OK, so how's everybody uh, doing watching us right now? All right. OK, so so the next week. 
Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. came to show his support for the boycott. This is in 1957. This is right around June or the 1st of July, 1957. To show his support for the boycott by speaking to 2,000 African-Americans at the Washington Chapel AME Zion Church. And he said, quote, you are not seeking to put the stores out of business, but to put justice into business. You're not seeking to put the stores out of business, but to put justice into business. Okay. Now, if they go out of business in the meantime, well, then, you know, it is what it is. All right. But their goal was to put justice into business. Okay. So, um, uh, Charles G. Gomillion said, quote, if white citizens here feel Negroes should not vote, then Negro citizens feel their money should not be spent with these folks. We prefer to spend our money with people who might help us or who at least are in a poor position to hurt, to hurt us directly. White people in Montgomery, for instance. Okay. Um, similarly, Dr. E.H. Foster, Dr. E.H. Foster, who was president of the Tuskegee Institute at the time, he said, quote, now that, now that they don't want us in the city of Tuskegee, I have no reason to trade there. Now that they don't want us in the city of Tuskegee, I have no reason to trade there. So what they did was they weaponized their, their dollars. They weaponized their dollars and they redistributed the pain to those inflicting pain upon them through economic withdrawal strategies. And they redirected uh, dollars to those who were more allies or doing less harm to them, redirected dollars uh, also to some African-American-owned businesses as well, okay? And if you look at the Black Bank Movement, well, the Black Bank Movement goes back to February 2016, at least, January, February 2016. But if you look at July, uh, it was about right around July 7th of 2016, that's when hip-hop artist Killer Mike was on... Um, uh, Miss Shanika's show in Atlanta. And this was right after the killing of Alton Sterling, Philando Castile's in that same week. I think it was July 7th was the date because Philando Castile was shot and killed on July 6, 2016. Uh, and Killer Mike called for um, uh, African-Americans to open up bank accounts at Citizens Trust Bank in Atlanta. Citizens Trust Bank in Atlanta. And you had a surge in the black bank movement all across the country behind this. And you had banks in Chicago, Detroit, uh, Atlanta, uh, different cities across the country, seeing a surge in African-Americans coming in, open up bank accounts. And this is something Dr. King talked about in his last speech. He said, take your money out of the banks downtown and put your money in tri-state bank. Now tri-state bank was an African-American owned bank in Memphis, Tennessee at the time. He said, put your, he said, take your money out of the banks downtown and put your money in Tri-State Bank. OK. All right. So um, now within weeks, the boycott. And put the gerrymandering case in the national spotlight. And Dr. King was correct when he said we have to always anchor our external direct action like mass protests, uh, marches always anchor our external direct action with the power of economic withdrawal. Okay. He's absolutely correct. Now, um, so the next week, uh, okay. So 
So within weeks, the boycott had plunged local sales by more than 75 percent and put and put the gerrymandering case in the national spotlight. OK, consequently, Alabama officials began an effort to suppress uh, the boycott. By the end of July of 1957, state, the state attorney general and future governor, John Patterson, led multiple raids against uh, the offices of the Tuskegee Civic Association in an effort to discourage the boycott. OK. Once again, this is also an attempt to suppress the African-American vote. So if you look at what happened in the state of Indiana under Governor Mike Pence during the 2016 election cycle, uh, you saw that um, the attorney general at the same time, uh, the attorney general at the time um, sent the, the state police into a voter registration office that uh, registered African-Americans to vote. The majority of the people they registered to vote were uh, were African-Americans. And they were looking for 10,000 voter registration ballots that um, may be fraudulent. They confiscated, they confiscated 50,000 voter registration ballots. They were looking for 10,000 that may have been fraudulent. They confiscated 50,000. I still haven't been able to find out what happened to those 50,000 voter registration ballots. This happened during the 2016 election cycle. This happened last year under Governor Mike Pence, governor of Indiana, who is now vice president. Now, if your vote didn't matter, why they do this? Somebody please explain this to me. If your vote didn't matter, why they do this? OK, and uh, Benjamin Chavis, Dr. Benjamin Chavis was interviewed on News One Now with Roland Martin to talk about it. Um, we're going to post this link here. Um, right here, we'll post a link right there. Uh, those watching on YouTube, you check that link out. And those watching on Crowdcast will post it here also. Uh, check out the article. Check out the article from um, uh, newsone.com. It's called, hold on just a second. Okay. Article from newsone.com is called Indiana officials target black voter registration drive for voter fraud. Indiana officials target black voter registration drive for voter fraud. This happened. Now, how many of y'all watch it? How many of y'all heard about this? Okay, this happened in 2016, just two or three months before the election. Dr. Benjamin Chavis, president and CEO of the National Newspaper Publishers Association, said this is not voter fraud. This is voter suppression led by state officials and Governor Mike Pence ought to be ashamed of himself. Mike Pence is now your vice president. This this didn't happen 50 years ago. This happened last year. Indiana's Republican Secretary of State, Connie Lawson, launched an investigation into the Indiana Voter Registration Project, a nonprofit organization that aims to register African-American voters. Secretary of State Connie Lawson wrote a letter to state election officials last month warning that, quote unquote, nefarious actors were engaged in potential voter fraud. 
an investigation conducted by the state police found incorrect birth dates and first names on the state's voter rolls, but could not determine why or how the changes were made. Democrats have cried foul and say the state actions prevented the group from registering 10,000 voters before the voter registration deadline. Dr. Benjamin Chavis um, um, was on News One Now with Roland Martin and called Indiana Republicans actions to bar 10,000 voters from being registered, quote unquote, voter suppression. He said, we got to call Mike Pence's name. It was the Indiana State Police that put a raid on the largest voter registration apparatus in the state of Indiana. It was Governor Mike Pence that put a raid, R-A-I-D, on the largest voter registration apparatus in the state of uh, Indiana. Dr. Benjamin Chavis went on to say, quote, they shut it down and they confiscated the records, end quote. They shut it down and they confiscated the records. According to the civil rights activists, as a result of the police raid, quote, all of the people that the voter registration group have registered uh, are now in jeopardy. And uh, quote unquote, and when these thousands of black voters go to vote on election day, they could be they could be questioned. OK, I don't know. I, I still haven't been able to find out what happened to um, the uh, to the to the uh, those they registered to vote. OK, because I saw one report that talked about 50,000 that were um, actually registered to vote. OK, uh, confiscated. Because there, there was a, I saw some other articles about this same uh, story as well, but you can you can check out that article. There was one article from um, Salon.com. Um, I don't know if that article. You can just Google that, uh, Google that topic. Uh, but there was um, you can just research uh, voter suppression in. Um, um, Indiana. Atlantablackstar.com has this article, Police Raid, Indiana's Largest Voter Registration Drive May Block 45,000 Black Citizens from Voting. This is October 26, 2016. This is less than a month before the election. This is less than a month before the election. These are the type of games these people are playing. While people staying at home uh, thinking their vote doesn't matter, their vote is being nullified. Check out that article from AtlantaBlackStar.com. Okay, now I should uh, post here on YouTube. Shit, let me post this here on YouTube. I know it's a long link. Pence may be our president sooner than later. Uh, okay, it's not letting me post that link for some reason. Let me see if I can just post the name of this article here. I want to make sure you get this because a lot of our people operating based upon a bunch of nonsense and conspiracy theories while all this stuff is just staring us right in the face and slapping the hell out of us. And, and, and we're just totally confused. Okay. I think Pence may go down also. I think Pence may go down also. Pence wants to play like he didn't know what was going on. No, he knew what was going on. Okay. 
So let's continue here. Okay, Felicia says she heard about it. Most of our people didn't hear about this. Okay, so just as they had a raid in um, Indiana to suppress the African-American vote, you have this going on uh, from future Governor John Patterson in 1957 in Tuskegee, Alabama. By the end of July 1957, state attorney general and future governor of um future governor of Alabama, John Patterson, led multiple raids against offices of the Tuskegee Civic Association in an effort to discourage the boycott, in an effort to discourage the boycott. On July 29th, uh, John Patterson uh, warned blacks against uh, violating uh, Alabama's anti-boycott law. Again, he, he warned blacks about violating Alabama's anti-boycott law. By August 16th, to, uh, 1957, Patterson succeeded in obtaining an injunction against uh, Charles G. Gomillion and the Tuskegee uh, Civic Association after having secured an injunction banning the NAACP from operating in Alabama the previous year. Now, if the NAACP wasn't effective, why did they ban them from operating in the state of Alabama. See, we have to study this history. I don't understand. I understand the origins of the NAACP and, and um, Joe Spengar and things like this, but no, the, the NAACP was, was a threat to white supremacy in the South. This is why they banned them in Atlanta, in Alabama. Now, Charles G. Gomillion appreciated the irony he said, quote, if we stay away from their churches, schools and playgrounds, we are wise and understanding Negroes. But if we stay away from their stores, we are criminals. If they did not want our vote, why should they have our money? He, he, he laid it out right there. He said, if we stay away from their churches, schools and playgrounds, we are wise and understanding Negroes. But if we stay away from their stores, we are criminals because they were trying to criminalize the protesters. He said, if they did not want our vote, why should they have our money? Now, despite the injunction, the boycott continued. Keep in mind, this economic boycott is gonna last for four years. It's gonna last for four years. See, a lot of us, we know about the Montgomery bus boycott, December 5th, 1955 to um, December 20th, 1956, lasted 381 days, started out as a one-day boycott the uh, Monday morning, December 5th, 1955. But most of us don't know about this uh, Tuskegee, Alabama boycott that starts in 1957, okay? Starts in uh, June of 1957. Now, despite the injunction, the boycott continued. By the end of 1957, over 100 white businesses were forced to close their doors and many other businesses and dealerships were reporting drop-offs of 40, 50, or even 60% in sales. They redistributed the pain to these people. They redistributed the pain of these people, okay? Now, in spite of the economic turmoil caused by the boycott, the Tuskegee City Council unanimously voted to deny a petition signed by over 700 African-Americans, which requested that the city re-annex the territory removed from its city limits by act number 140. Okay. So just as 
yesterday as is today most of the social ills that we're dealing with are this negative side effects of bad public policies and this is what they were fighting against here and we don't most of our people don't understand law don't understand politics two main ways to understand politics number one the legal distribution of scarce wealth power and resources the legal distribution of scarce wealth, power, and resources. Number two, the writing of law, statutes, ordinances, amendments, treaties, their adoption, interpretation, and enforcement. The uh, 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 the uh, uh, um, writing of law, statutes, ordinances, amendments, and treaties, their adoption, interpretation, and enforcement. Now, in addition to this, uh, Senator Inglehart continues his self-proclaimed crusade to, quote, split Negro political power to split Negro political power by proposing a constitutional amendment which would enable the legislature to abolish Macon County. They were trying to abolish the county, okay? Senator Englehart continued his self-proclaimed crusade to, quote, split the, split the Negro political power by proposing a constitutional amendment which would enable the state legislature of Alabama to abolish Macon County, which was 84% African-American. Uh, Macon County was 84% African-American. So there were 25,771 African-Americans in Macon County compared to 4,677 whites. And this was in order to dilute the African-American population amongst the surrounding predominantly white counties. So they were they were they understood law. White people understood law back then. And many of our people had a better understanding of politics and the negative impact of politics than many of our people do today. Now, December 17th, 1957, the amendment was approved. By uh, citizens in Alabama, Alabamians. It was approved 58,824 to uh, 40,710, okay? This was a statewide vote. 58,824 voted yes, 40,710 voted no. With the New York Times reporting that, quote, advocates of the change said it was necessary to prevent Negro control of the county in view of federal civil rights legislation to use national authority to guarantee voting rights. Advocates of the change said it was necessary to prevent Negro control of the, uh, of the county government in view of federal civil rights legislation to use national authority to guarantee voting rights, end quote. While the uh, Tuskegee Civic Association alleged that the, quote, proposal was a device to maintain an undemocratic system of social relationships, a system which cannot be justified morally or politically, a system that cannot be justified morally or politically. Now, as months as the months wore on, the Tuskegee Civic Association continued to hold weekly mass meetings of 1,000 to 2,000 uh, people at various uh, African-American churches in order quote, to keep up the spirit of resistance in order to keep up the spirits, the spirit of resistance. Then in June of 1958, 
an Alabama judge struck down the injunction against the Tuskegee Civic Association, noting that Americans have a right to trade with whom they choose and ruling that um, Attorney General uh, Patterson, uh, Attorney General John Patterson, had failed to substantiate his charges of coercion and intimidation against the organization. Now, two months later, on uh, August 4th, 1958, Charles G. Gomillion and 12 other disenfranchised African-American voters filed a federal lawsuit against Tuskegee Mayor Phil Lightfoot and the city council contending that Act Number 140, which is uh, the state of Alabama, State of Alabama Act Number 140 violated African Americans uh, voters' constitutional constitutional protections, and uh, they're probably referencing Fifteenth um, Amendment of uh, 1870. 15th Amendment. Now, by the end of 1959, participation in the uh, economic boycott ha had dropped notice noticeably. But on February 27, 1960, 400 students at the Tuskegee Institute reinvigorated the campaign with a peaceful march in downtown Tuskegee, Alabama, followed by a meeting two nights later, deciding to tighten the economic boycott to make it, quote, 100 percent effective, 100 percent effective. Then on November 14, 1940, after several lower courts ruled, that issues regarding gerrymandering did not fall within the judiciary's purview, the U.S. Supreme Court unanimously ruled that Gomillion versus Lightfoot, this, this, this case went all the way to the U.S. Supreme Court. Now, if the vote didn't matter, why did white people take this case all the way to the U.S. Supreme Court? If it didn't matter, it, it's not free to go to the U.S. Supreme Court. You have to go through the appellate courts. Those are legal fees that cost money. On November 14, 1960, after several lower courts ruled that issues regarding gerrymandering did not fall within the judiciary's purview, the U.S. Supreme Court unanimously ruled that Gomillion versus Lightfoot was entitled to a full trial to determine if the gerrymandering had the effect of disenfranchising African-American voters. Eight justices, eight Supreme Court justices found that such an effect violated the 15th Amendment, section one of the 15th Amendment, uh, the right of citizens of the United States to vote shall not be denied or abridged by the United States or by any state on account of race, color, or previous condition of servitude. Race, color, or any previous condition of servitude. And one, Voting in concurrence found it violated the 14th Amendment's Equal Protection Clause, the 14th Amendment of 1868, which is based upon the Civil Rights Act of uh, 1866. Now, also in 1957, you're going to have the Civil Rights Act of 1957 that's going to be passed also. The Civil Rights Act of 1957 and the Civil Rights Act of, 1960, of 1957 was the first federal civil rights legislation to be passed since 1875. And it authorized the federal government to take legal measures to prevent a citizen from being denied voting rights. This was the Civil Rights Act of 1957, not 1964, 1957. 
Now, on February 17th, 1961, federal judge Frank M. Johnson ruled that um, state, uh, state of Alabama Act number 140 did have the effect of disenfranchising um, African-American voters and was thus unconstitutional and issued an order prohibiting officials from enforcing the act. So act number 140 was struck down after, after four years. Several weeks later, federal judge Frank Johnson delivered another sweeping victory for Macon County for Macon County African-Americans by ruling that the board of registrars was actively and deliberately obstructing African-American voter registration and ordered an overhaul of the registrar's operating procedures. With these victories, the four-year economic boycott on Tuskegee's, on Tuskegee white merchants came to an end. So this was a huge victory for them. And they redistributed the pain with economic withdrawal strategies. This is a, so, so we talk about the Montgomery bus boycott that lasted 381 days. And that's good to study that. And I've studied that. But we need to study this one here. This lasted four years. They were in it to win it and won it. This is the economic boycott of Tuskegee, Alabama, 1957 economic boycott of Tuskegee, Alabama, that goes all the way to February of 1961 and it was uh you had the landmark case of uh gomillion versus lightfoot gomillion versus lightfoot okay all right so you can read more about this i know black uh blackden.com has an article about this um at blackden.com they have an article june 17th 1957 the tuskegee boycott began uh blackden.com also um uh global nonviolent action database uh, there are a number of articles uh, that deal with this new york times has articles going back um years uh there are a lot of articles from 1957 58 things like this uh regarding this case and i looked at some of the original articles also um but um global nonviolent uh database Glo global nonviolent action database has an article black citizens boycott white merchants for us voting rights tuskegee alabama 1957 um we'll post it because i don't think it's gonna let me post the link i don't know but we'll post this right here and we posted article uh, article about this uh yesterday and today on our facebook fan page the african history network the african history network as well so what you do for yourself, what you do to yourself and what you allow other people to do to you is based upon what you think about yourself. What you think about yourself is based upon what you have been taught about yourself. What you've been taught about yourself is based upon everything you've read, heard and seen about yourself. So when you control the radius of a man's thoughts, you can control the circumference of his actions because the mind can't do or teach what it doesn't know. OK. So this is why uh, understanding our history is so important. Your history and culture gives you your, your values, your interests, and your principles, your VIPs, your values, your interests, and your principles. They influence your economic empowerment as well as your political empowerment. They influence your economic empowerment as well as your political empowerment, okay? 
your VIPs, your values, your interests, and your principles. All right. So how's everybody doing? If you have any questions, go ahead and post them here. Uh, I know we have people watching on uh, YouTube. So go ahead and, and post your questions if um, you have any questions here. I'm going to do a quick overview of uh, an online class, Ancient Kemet, the Moors, and the Ma'afa, Understanding the Transatlantic Slave Trade, what they didn't teach you in school. Understanding the Transatlantic Slave Trade, what they didn't teach you in school. I'm going to do a quick overview of that. Now, this is a... Um, uh, a 12 a, a 12 hour uh, six week online course that I teach all the sessions are recorded you can go back and watch it over and over again all the sessions are recorded you can go back and watch it over and over again okay and uh, we should be able to do screen share let me see here okay all right so let me see how this is coming in on um, YouTube. Okay. So you can see the screen share on YouTube. Um, so how's everybody doing watching us on YouTube? Okay. So you can register for this online course. Um, we'll post the link here. You can register here. As soon as you register, you can watch uh, the class on last week and it's going to enroll you in our new section. Um, so you'll be able to um join us for the last session of this course is wrapping up and then it's going to roll you into the new session that's going to start uh next friday uh 7 p.m to 9 p.m eastern standard time okay so you'll be able to get um like seven or eight sessions instead of six okay and the full course is only uh forty dollars all the sessions are recorded you can go back and watch it over and over again okay so we do what uh, so when we deal with the transatlantic slave trade number one we have to understand We've been here at least um, 51,700 years. Uh, I deal with uh, information also coming from Dr. David M. Hotep, who wrote the book, The First Americans Were Africans, Documented Evidence. Uh, this is a, a, a landmark book if you haven't read it. His book deals with an African presence in this country that dates back at least 51,700 years. Uh, his book has 713 footnotes. And uh, he deals with uh, also the discovery made by Dr. Albert Goodyear in 2004 in Allendale County, South Carolina. And Dr. David M. Hotel is a friend of mine. He's not my brother or my father, but he's a friend of mine. I've interviewed him a number of times. You see some of the interviews I've done with him here on uh, our YouTube channel and on Facebook also. Okay. And uh, you can listen to the audio podcast of our radio show at AfricanHistoryNetwork.com, AfricanHistoryNetwork.com. We have over we have about 750 archive episodes of our show. But here's what they found in Allendale County, South Carolina, 2004. Um, they found artifacts, architecture, campsites, carvings, Egyptian writings, uh, footprints in lava, genetic M174D haploid groups dealing with DNA and genetics, um, foot, uh, linguistics, paintings. Um, skull, skeleton structures, and tools, okay? Uh, overwhelming evidence of an African presence that dates back at least 51,700 years ago. Uh, this is an article uh, from um, ScienceDaily.com, article from ScienceDaily.com, November 18th, 2004. New evidence puts man in North America 50,000 years ago. New evidence puts man in North America 50,000 years ago. OK. And they talk about how radiocarbon uh, tests of carbonized plant remains 
where artifacts were unearthed last May along the Savannah River in Allendale County by University of South Carolina archaeologist Dr. Albert Goodyear indicate that the sediments containing these artifacts are at least 50,000 years old, meaning that humans inhabited North America long before the last ice age. Humans inhabited North America uh, long before uh, the last ice age. Okay. Now, a lot of people don't know about this discovery. But archaeological discoveries take place all the time. And these are some of the things we deal with in the online course. So when we deal with the transatlantic slave trade, we have to deal with it uh, chronologically. We can't deal with it as an episode in history. A lot of people try to deal with it episodically. OK, and we have to understand that the transatlantic slave trade is a um, it is a culmination of a sequence of historical events that take place and lead up to a larger event happening. It's the culmination of a sequence of historical events that take place and lead up to a, uh, a larger event uh, happening. So we deal with the 800 year occupation of Europe by the Africans known as the Moors that set up Columbus to set sail on his four voyages. Uh, when he set sail August 3rd, 1492 on the Nina, the Penta and the Santa Maria. Uh, we deal with uh, ancient Kemet as well. We talk about that some also. And, and when the Moors go in, they are um, taking in teachings. Uh, they're taking in teachings into Europe when they go in in 711 AD. They're taking teachings into Europe um, that are going to bring Europe out of the Dark Ages. Okay. They're going to bring Europe out of the Dark Ages. And uh, this is why you have to understand the chronology of history. And a lot of our people don't understand this, okay? A lot of our people, unfortunately, don't understand this. All right, so uh, now let me see. I'm trying to do something here. Okay, there was an error. Okay, well, let me broadcast on Facebook Live at the same time. Okay, so. And then uh, to understand the transatlantic slave trade, we have to understand Columbus and his four voyages also because um, Columbus helps to lay the foundation for slavery, racism, capitalism, the exploitation of indigenous people. Um, and opens up the so-called new world to other European powers coming in and exploiting uh, the so-called new world. At least 70 percent of the people that Columbus encounters on his four voyages are African people. At least 70% of the people Columbus encounters on his four voyages are African people, okay? Um, okay, I wanna make sure, okay, how's everybody doing on YouTube? All right, how's everybody doing on YouTube? And even when you study Captain John Smith, 1607, Jamestown, Virginia, Captain John Smith talks about being captured by a group of black Indians. Captain John Smith talks about being captured by a group of black Indians. So a lot of people don't know that African people were in this land we call the United States of America, even before Native Americans came here. This was our land stolen from us. And Native Americans are the offspring of the intermixing of, uh, of Africans who come here at least 51,700 years ago and Asians who come here around 3000 BC. And they're going to intermix in their offspring of who we call Native Americans. Okay. So, 
uh, we deal with the role that Christopher Columbus played in the transatlantic slave trade. Uh, we deal with uh, some of the events leading up to the transatlantic slave trade, starting like the 800 year occupation of Europe by the Africans known as the Moors, what they introduced into Europe. And then also uh, the uh, Moors losing control. Uh, especially in Spain, the last stronghold, uh, Grenada. They lose January 2nd, 1492. Um, we deal with when did Africans first come to the U.S. as enslaved African people? Because even if we deal with August 20th, 1619, and this is one of the problems I have with the um, slave-themed movies and the slave-themed TV shows like Underground. Even if we deal with August 20th, 1619, African people were enslaved in the territory called South Carolina by the Spanish almost 100 years before that. But that's not talked about. That's not talked about. Uh, we deal with did Africans sell themselves into slavery as well and deal with that complex history because because that is a complex history. And, and a lot of people like Dr. Henry Louis Gates Jr. take exceptions to the rule and try to extrapolate it over the whole of Africa and over the whole of the uh, transatlantic slave trade, which is totally inaccurate. Uh, we deal with uh, a real life example of the suppression of the knowledge when you deal with the uh, Druids. You deal with the Druids uh, who are dealing with a watered down teaching uh, watered-down version of teachings coming out of ancient commit, and um, you're, you're dealing with the Druids fighting against the um, Eastern Orthodox Church, and Pope Celestine the first sending in a uh, a British uh, slave in 432 A.D. named Patrick, who's going to be later canonized as a saint. His feast day is March 17th, and He's going to kill thousands of people in the name of the Christian church and Christianize the Irish uh, and set up churches, baptize people, things like this. But he was a mass murderer for the Christian church. But he's fighting against the Jewish who are dealing with the Gnosis. OK, because in old Irish, uh, uh, Druid means he who knows. And they were dealing with the Gnosis, which means the true knowledge and the teachings they were dealing with were in direct contradiction to uh, teachings coming out of Christianity, okay? So to uh, conquer the Irish, have power over them, the Druids had to go. So this is, this is a, uh, this, this, we deal with historical examples like this. Um, we deal with a lot of archeological finds, like uh, the lost city of Egypt, Tanis Heraklion, which was, um, that information was revealed in 2013. This was a lost city that's been lost for about 1,200 years. It's estimated that it was built around 8th, 8th century BC and it sinks, it sunk into uh, Egypt's Bay of Abu Kir. It just is sunk into the sea. Okay. And um, this discovery, when it was revealed, um, 150 feet beneath the surface of Egypt Bay's. Uh, Egypt's Bay of, of, of Abu Kir, they found 64 ships, 16 foot tall statues, 700 anchors, countless gold coins and smaller artifacts. They found 16 foot tall statues of Osset and other people. This, these are some of the findings. Uh, this is at the bottom of the uh, bottom of the sea that they found uh, 16 foot tall, tall statues it appears to be in the Subiti or Pharaoh. They found uh, statues of Osset who the Greeks called Isis. Uh, this is the uh, legs from a statue that they found also. All this found at the bottom of the sea. 
This is uh, from the top of the uh, statue, from the top of the head of a statue of Offset. You see the horns of Hathor or Het-Heru and the sun disk, uh, sun disk of Ra. Um, so this is the type of, uh, we deal with these archaeological findings, okay? And let me fast forward through some of this here. Uh, so we deal with Fomores and we deal with the Egypt of the West and how the U.S. is the Egypt of the West. And uh, when we look at the Washington Monument, that's an ancient African symbol called a Tekken coming out of the story of Harsar, Arset, and Heru, uh, who the Greeks called Osiris, Isis, and Horus. And we deal with, you have to deal with Freemasonry to understand the founding of the U.S., to understand the layout of Washington, D.C., because the layout of Washington, D.C., we know Benjamin Banneker was a surveyor who did the layout of Washington, D.C. But um, you have to also understand uh, how Freemasonry is based upon uh, ancient principles coming out of ancient Kemet in the mystery systems. And we're going to see those symbols incorporated into Freemasonry because these are teachings that were taken into Europe by the Africans known as the Moors who George G.M. James and Stolen Legacy said were the custodians of the ancient Egyptian mystery system. Okay. And the Greeks, the, um, the ancient Kemetic people, the Kemet too, they called uh, this structure an obelisk. I'm sorry. They call it a Tekken. The Greeks call it an obelisk. They call it a Tekken. And there were 12, about 1200 Tekken new all throughout ancient Kemet. Today, there are only about 12 of them. They're going to be taken to different uh, cities and countries around the world, Istanbul, Istanbul, Turkey, Vatican City, taken to Rome, Italy, you know, taken into France, things like this. OK, so when you see this structure, know that that's referencing African history and culture and 50 of the 56 signers of the Declaration of Independence were Freemasons. Also, here we have a famous statue of uh, Heru with the falcon's head, the sun, Asar. Uh, the, the father and offset the mother. Uh, we have a copy of uh, offset who the Greeks call Isis in the um, TV show. Um, the secrets of Isis. Okay. Which comes from a DC comic, which was a, um, a adaptation of the superhero created by DC comics of Isis. This is still in African history and culture. So in the 1970s, I used to watch this show on Saturday mornings, the Shazam and Isis hour. But I didn't know that this a white woman, Isis, they told us her name was, was Isis. I didn't know she was a copy of Offset, okay, who was uh, in the mythology, the first queen of Kemet, okay? And you see Offset here with the baby Heru, who was born on December 25th of a virgin birth. Now, what I say may go outside the circumference of your awareness just because you never heard it before does not mean it's not true. It just means you have to do some research to understand what I'm talking about. So this is the type of information we deal with in our online course, Ancient Kemet, the Moors and the Ma'afa, understanding the transatlantic slave trade, what they didn't teach you in school. We deal with uh, history chronologically as much as possible. We have to deal with a, a sequence of historical events that lead up to the transatlantic slave trade happening. So we deal with thousands of years of history uh, in this class. And then from uh, offset, okay, we get the black Madonna and child. And then from the black Madonna and child, we get Mary and Jesus. It's important to understand also the ecumenical councils that take place from 325 AD with the, with the first council of Nicaea going up to 1870. 
And you have to understand like the Council of Ephesus of 431, because that's even more important than the first Council of Nicaea, because the Council of Ephesus, Ephesus is when you're going to have the Theotokos created, the mother of God, which is the Virgin Mary. And you have a change from the first Holy Trinity of Osar, Aset, and Heru to Jesus, Mary, and Joseph. Uh, you have Joseph's put in, but you have the Holy Spirit, all this, all this put in. Then you, uh, that's 431. You also have the Council of Chalcedon of four, uh, 451. AD as well, another important uh, ecumenical council. Okay, I encourage people to read the book, um, The Historical Origin of Christianity by Dr. Um, Walter Williams. The Historical Origin of Christianity by Dr. Walter Williams. I know Dr. Walter Williams is one of my teachers also. I've interviewed him a number of times. If you go to our website, you can read the, uh, I mean, if you go to our website, AfricanHistoryNetwork.com, just click on, uh, listen to podcasts of, uh, of uh, Michael M. Hotel, you can listen to interviews I've done with them. We just posted a link here. Once again, you can register for our online course, Ancient Kemet, the Moors, and the Ma'afa, Understanding the Transatlantic Slave Trade, What They Didn't Teach You in School, Understanding the Transatlantic Slave Trade, What They Didn't Teach You in School. Okay. So this is a um, 12 week uh, online course. We usually do it on Fridays. We're going to do a session. Um, trying to see if we can, we'll either do a session tonight about nine o'clock because of um I was trying to broadcast on facebook live all this stuff is thrown off it's thrown off my schedule so if we don't do it tonight we'll do it uh on sunday um in the afternoon probably about three to five um dr francis but all the sessions are recorded so you can go back and watch it over and over again and this will also enroll you in our new section starting coming up this friday as well um so you'll be enrolled in our new section also uh, so you'll be able to watch uh, the, the very next class that we do. And uh, you'll be enrolled in the uh, new section that starts up uh, June 23rd. But all the sessions are recorded. You can go back and watch it over and over again. You'll also be able to watch the class we did last Friday also. So Dr. Francis Cress Wilson and Nilly Fuller, uh, they taught us if you do not understand European white supremacy and racism, what it is and how it works, everything else that you think that you understand will totally confuse you. If you do not understand European white supremacy and racism, what it is and how it works, everything else that you think that you understand will totally confuse you. Um, and this is um, one of my teachers, Dr. Lynn. Professor James Small teach to talk about the pyramid principle and the pyramid principle. Uh, the foundation of the pyramid is African history and culture, which gives you your VIPs, your values, your interests and your principles. And they influence the two sides of the pyramid, economic empowerment and um, uh, economic empowerment, as well as uh, political empowerment. So it doesn't matter how much money we have. If that foundation is not in place, we know we don't we won't know what to do with the money. So we have to take our minds back. And that foundation is African history and culture. So we deal with the problem with slave movies. We talk some about the TV show uh, Underground as well. I've done some videos dealing with that that are on YouTube. Uh, Stephen Biko, one of our great South African freedom fighters, said the most potent weapon in the hands of the oppressor is the mind of the oppressed. The most potent weapon in the hands of the oppressor is the mind of the oppressed. OK, so uh, we also deal with, um, like I said, archaeological discoveries as well that are causing experts to have to rethink everything. When these archaeological discoveries happen, like the one we talked about last Friday, uh, you had a. Um, uh, 300,000, uh, yeah, skeletons of, um, uh, 
Homo sapiens that date back between 300,000 and 350,000 years old found in Morocco. Okay, this came out uh, earlier. Um, this came out in late in um, um, May. Okay, this discovery, 2017. Totally shocking the archaeological world, totally flipping the archaeological world upside down because the oldest previous remains of Homo sapiens dated back 195,000 years ago. Okay. And here you have evidence dating back 300,000 to uh, 350,000 years ago in Morocco. The oldest fossils were from Ethiopia. And many of our scholars, like Renoko Rashidi, Dr. David M. Hotep, Dr. Charles Fence, they've been saying for years that Homo sapiens are not 100,000 years old, 200,000 years old, but at least 300,000 years old. Now we have archaeological evidence substantiating that as well. Okay. Uh, these are the national flags of uh, Corsica and Sardinia. Uh, Corsica is a French island in the Mediterranean. Sardinia is an Italian island in the Mediterranean. And these are African Moors heads on their national flags. These are the national flags today. These, uh, these are African Moors heads. And uh, the Moors were in these areas. It took a monumental effort to defeat them. And they put them on their national flag. Um, originally, now we see the blindfold, we see the bandana. Originally, the bandana was a blindfold. Originally, the bandana was a blindfold to signify that they were prisoners, they had been captured. But to be more politically correct, because of tourism, things like this, they turned the blindfold into a bandana. But these are African, these are African Moors here, these are African people. So you see the history of, of the African Moors all throughout Europe. Uh, France, Italy, Corsica, Sardinia, uh, in the Mediterranean, Austria, Germany, England, Ireland, uh, Spain, Portugal, Holland. You'll see it all throughout. You'll see them all throughout Europe. You'll see them in their literature, in their art, in their history, in their language, also in their blood bloodline, because the Moors are going to intermix with the European population also. Okay. So we deal with who the Moors were. Uh, one of the things I show also, we deal with Columbus because Columbus is very important in his four voyages. It's very important to understand the transatlantic slave trade. We, work, we I deal with where Columbus went on his four voyages because contrary to popular belief, Columbus never came to the land that we call the United States of America. Uh, he's in uh, Haiti, Puerto Rico, Jamaica, Cuba, Honduras, Panama. When you study his four voyages, he never comes to the land that we call the United States of America. The closest he comes is Cuba, which is 90 miles away. So we have to stop lying to our children, telling them that Columbus discovered America, because that's just historically inaccurate. Columbus never came to this land that we call the United States of America. All right. Um, we also deal with um, the impact that insurance companies had on the transatlantic slave trade, because not only did they take out insurance policies on slave ships, and on the enslaved African cargo on those ships. But also you're going to have uh, over 40 insurance companies in the US that take out insurance policies on slaves on the plantations as well, because there was a practice of insuring slaves on the plantation, especially those who did a very dangerous work, working in sawmills, working in coal mines, things like this, uh, so that the slave owners could uh, cash in the policy when they died and get three quarters of the investment that they had in that slave back. This was a policy also. A lot of your early 
insurance companies got their start or it was at least part of their business insuring uh, slaves on the plantation also. This is a little known piece of history. Um, so Dr. David M. Hotep in the first Americans were Africans documented evidence. He talks about how 70% of the people uh, Columbus encounters on his four voyages um, in, in the islands were still African people. And then also Bartolomeu de las Casas, who is also central to the transatlantic slave trade. Um, he was a bishop who goes on uh, voyages, some of the voyages with Columbus, and he keeps a diary. It's going to be um, made into two books. One of them was uh, Tears of the Indians or something like that. I read two of his books when I was in college. But he estimates that Columbus was responsible for the murder of 12 million to 25 million indigenous people. He estimates that Columbus was responsible for the murder of 12 million to 25 million indigenous people. Uh, so we deal with the origins of racism and the concepts of race. We deal with, uh, right, Reverend Bishop Bartholomew de las Casas. I mean, not de las Casas. Um, we deal with uh, Dr. Carl von Linnaeus and uh, Dr. Johann Friedrich, Friedrich Blumenbach because they're critical to understanding the, uh, con uh, the concept of race and the division of humanity into races. And we deal with understanding racism as a system of advantage and privilege distributed based upon race coming out of the system of white supremacy. Racism is a system of advantage and privilege distributed based upon race coming out of the uh, system of white supremacy for the purpose of preserving genetic white survival on the planet that's less than 10% European. We deal with historical figures like Hannibal Barca in the Battle of Cannae in 216 BC fighting against the Romans. And how Hannibal, because of the rise of white supremacy, uh, how Hannibal uh, has been portrayed as a European oftentimes. Prior to the rise of white supremacy, he was portrayed as an African. But when you have a rise in white supremacy, a rise in the white phenotype, a rise in white power, uh, a white power structure uh, in the uh, coming out of the, of the late 1400s going into the um, uh, 16th century, 17th century, you're going to have them co-opting these African images and reinterpreting them as being European. OK. And Hannibal is one of those images that we see that happen to as well as uh, the Virgin Mary as well, as well as going from the black Madonna child to the white uh, Virgin Mary also. OK. All right. Uh, so we deal with thousands of years of history in this class. Uh, we do. What was the transatlantic slave trade? We break down the Middle Passage also um, do with insurance companies, slave rebellions, um, a lot of information we cover in this company uh, in this in this uh, online course. We do the origins of the term America and Africa as well, because even the term America has an African origin going back to the uh, Sierra Amarique and the Los Amarices, uh, who are a group of black African people in Nicaragua, the Los Amarices. Um, so. We deal with uh, the Lynch, the ancient Kemet and early Christianity. Also deal with the fake Willie Lynch uh, speech of 1712, the fake Willie Lynch speech of 1712. Willie Lynch never historically existed. Unfortunately, many of our people don't know this. Willie Lynch never historically existed. So we need to, uh, I mean, there are words in the Willie Lynch uh, speech that didn't, didn't even exist in uh, the early 18th century. Um, it, so we need to stop. You know, we need to stop telling that lie as well. OK, we need to stop telling that lie. Willingness never historically existed. Um, sorry to hurt your feelings. The Willie Lynch syndrome does not exist. A slave syndrome exists, but the Willie Lynch syndrome does not exist because Willie Lynch never historically existed. 
Okay. All right. AfricanHistoryNetwork.com or uh, right here. Uh, we'll post the link again as soon as you. Now, this, uh, this course is only $40. Um, registers you for. Twelve week, six. It's a sorry. It's a six week, twelve hour online course. All the sessions are recorded. We normally do it live, seven p.m. to nine p.m. Eastern Standard Time. Okay, on Fridays. Uh, if you miss any of the sessions, go back and watch them over and over again. As soon as you register, you'll be able to watch last week's class. We have some bonus content for you also to watch. Uh, we're going to do uh, online course. I was trying to do it tonight, but we had some technical difficulties. So um, we'll do it uh, tomorrow, um, 3 p.m. to 5 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. 3 p.m. to 5 p.m. Eastern Standard Time on Sunday, June 18th. Uh, you can tune in uh, uh, live. And we do a PowerPoint presentation like you saw. We have video incorporated, themes like that. Uh, so Boards in the Hood said Manu and Pem broke that down on one of your old shows. Yeah. And, and I reference uh, some work from Manu and Pem. Uh, when I talk about Willie Lynch, Willie Lynch never historically existed. Manu and Pim, I've interviewed uh, Manu and Pim a few years ago. We talked about that. Put that video on YouTube, man. We got it. He uh, he has a series of articles called Death to the Willie Lynch Speech. Death to the Willie Lynch Speech. Uh, also, and uh, you can go to his website, ManuandPim.com, ManuandPim.com. He has a series of articles, Death to the Willie Lynch Speech, okay? So uh, if you all have any questions, you could post your questions before we get out of here. We have uh, 11, we got like 10 minutes left in this broadcast because I'm broadcasting through Crowdcast, which allows me to broadcast on um, YouTube at the same time, YouTube at the same time and Facebook. There was a glitch with Facebook, so I couldn't broadcast on Facebook, but we can uh, broadcast up to uh, two hours, so we have 10 minutes left. So if you have any questions, go ahead. Okay. How'd you all like this information? Did you all learn anything? Share this broadcast also, uh, please. Share this broadcast on your in your social media platforms. Um, if you have any questions, uh, we can I can take some of your questions also. You can register for this online course. Uh, the information is gonna blow you away. Uh, some of the books that we use in the course, you don't have to buy any of these books, okay. But I use them for reference. We I reference a lot of articles. Uh, we have a ton of information here. But uh, this is one of the books uh, I reference: Golden Age of the Moor, Golden, Golden Age of the Moor, edited by Dr. Ivan Van Sertima. And uh, I definitely reference the essay by Dr. Jose Pimenta Bay, uh, around page 187, Dr. Jose Pimenta Bay. This is one of the books that uh, I use. Uh, also, the first Americans were Africans, documented evidence by Dr. David M. Hotep. The first Americans were Africans, documented evidence by Dr. David M. Hotep as well. Uh, you don't have to buy any of these books to be able to follow along in the class, but it's good, good for reference and good for your own personal library and the library for your family, because we have to have education centers. Every African-American household has to have an education center. We have entertainment centers. We have the Wii's and the PlayStations and the flat screen TVs and the uh, Blu-ray DVD players, surround sound systems. But we have to have education centers where we have the books, the DVD lectures, documentaries, a globe, an atlas, an almanac, uh, dictionaries, encyclopedias, whether they're online or uh, on uh, physical encyclopedias, 
we have to have the education center also, the children's books, the history books, the science books, math, all the, we have to have education centers in, a, in every African-American household also. Uh, we use post-traumatic slave syndrome by Dr. Joy DeGruy, post-traumatic slave syndrome by Dr. Joy DeGruy. Also, we use numerous articles as well. Um, also, Classical Africa by Dr. Malefic at the Asante, Classical Africa by Dr. Malefic at the Asante. Uh, now, Valley Contributions to Civilization by Tony Browder as well. Those are just a few of the books that we use in the course for reference, okay? You don't have to have read the books to understand them. You don't have to read the books to understand what we're talking about, but we use it uh, for reference and to document what we're talking about as well, okay? Um, all of my lectures are available at africanhistorynetwork.com, africanhistorynetwork.com also. Uh, and, uh, you know, we talk about some studies that deal with education also. Uh, you know, Malcolm X taught us that education is the passport uh, is our passport to our future for tomorrow belongs to those that prepare for it today. Education is our passport uh, to the future for tomorrow belongs to those that prepare for it today. And uh, I'll be in um, I'll be in Atlanta third weekend in July for the Liberated Minds Black Homeschool and Education Expo. This is Queen Tai. She is the co-founder of the Expo. I'm there each year. I'm one of the presenters and I am a vendor there also. I'm one of the workshop presenters. Uh, and Queen Thais talks about how uh, the education that we give our children should teach them how to meet the needs and solve the problems of their community. Um, and, and this is something I talk about as well. The education that we give our children should teach them how to meet the African-centered education that we give our children should teach them how to meet the needs and solve the problems of their community. And also um, the African-centered education that we give our children uh, should give them the individualized cultivation of their divine purpose in life, the individualized cultivation of their divine purpose in life. Uh, go to liberatedmindsexpo.com, liberatedmindsexpo.com. You can get more information about the Liberated Minds Expo, uh, uh, about the uh, Black Homeschooling Conference that takes place each year, the Black Homeschooling Conference that takes place each year. So we have DVD lectures. All of my lectures, we have documentaries at our website. We have the Hidden Colors documentaries. You have a bundle pack, uh, uh, all four installments of Hidden Colors also. Plus, you get some of my documentaries and uh, one installment of Afro Man and Protectors of Book of Knowledge. We have that for one low price. It's about $100 here or something like that. Check that out at our website also. Uh, the Hidden Colors Family Bundle Pack. We have uh, the uh, Afro Man and Protectors of the Book of Knowledge animated series for children also from uh kofi johnson he's the animator uh so we help market these and distribute them and help promote them also so uh, th these are african-american superheroes it's an animated series they're very entertaining for our children but also educational because they help to teach our children about their history and build positive self-esteem afro man and the protectors of the book of knowledge and um these um african-american superheroes they have male and female uh superheroes in this uh animated series also, okay? Afro Man and Protectors of the Book of Knowledge. And children watch them over and over again um, as well. Check out this article from AtlantaBlackStar.com. Kwanzaa event attracts hundreds to support Black-owned businesses. Uh, you know, my degrees in business administration, I've taught entrepreneurship for years. I've studied African history, African-American history and culture, economic empowerment, entrepreneurship um, for 25 years as well as media for 25 years. I've been doing radio for seven years. 
And uh, this, this is a great article here from AtlantaBlackStar.com. I deal with this in some of my presentation. Um, the Kwanzaa event attracts hundreds to support Black-owned businesses. This is from AtlantaBlackStar.com, December 27, 2016. And it talks about uh, Carrie Cadet, Carrie Cadet, uh, African-American female comedian, who created a Kwanzaa crawl. She created the Kwanzaa crawl uh, December 26, 2016. And you had, um, they organized about 1,600 African-Americans in three weeks, and they targeted 17 uh, African-American-owned businesses and pumped uh, thousands of dollars into these African-American-owned businesses, okay? This is something real. This is not theory. This is something that actually happened, okay? So this is something that, we, this this is uh, a strategy that we could use to redirect dollars to African-American-owned businesses. Once again, Dr. King in his last speech, April 3rd, 1968, I've been to the mountaintop. He said that we have to always anchor our external direct action with the power of economic withdrawal. He talked about redistributing the pain of those inflicting pain upon us. Uh, he talked about we have to strengthen black institutions. And he talked about supporting the African-American owned banks, supporting the African-American owned insurance companies, life insurance companies, supporting our own businesses, et cetera. He said this in the speech. This is not the first time he talked about that. It's not like he just started talking about economic empowerment the day before he was assassinated. If you think that, you did not read his books. He wrote five books, please, people, study Dr. King. Dr. King, Dr. King was a very revolutionary leader. And towards the end of both of their lives, Dr. King and Malcolm X, they were both, both assassinated at 39 years old. Megra Evers was assassinated at, he was about 38 years old when he was assassinated. But toward the end of both of their lives, their ideologies were confused were converging, Dr. King and Malcolm X. Toward the end of both of their lives, their ideologies were converging. If you read uh, the book, Malcolm uh, Martin in America, A Dream or a Nightmare, Malcolm Martin in America, A Dream or a Nightmare, by, Dr., uh, by uh, James H. Cone, uh, he deals with this in his book, Martin and Malcolm in America, A Dream or a Nightmare. Uh, he deals with this in his book, how toward the end of both of their lives, their ideologies were converging. Okay. Okay. So, um, uh, no, we're going to wrap it up here. Yeah. Dr. King shortly before he was assassinated, he talked about the, uh, poor people's March. Uh, you had the campaign for the poor people's March and he laid out, uh, how historically the U S government has supported immigrants coming to this country and supported poor whites with various policies, um, Homestead Act of 1862, uh, which gave away millions of lands, land, millions of acres of land to between 400,000 to 600,000, uh, mainly uh, uh, white families. Uh, you have a Southern Homestead Act of 1866, uh, right after the Civil War ends. Um, you have, um, uh, New Deal. A lot of those policies are going to greatly benefit white, save white homes, uh, homeowners, loan corporations going to be created. You have also uh, funding to save white farms, but not save African-American farms. So we lost thousands of our farms. You know, in 1930, we owned 900,000 farms. By 1939, it dropped down to 682,000 because white farm owners could get government assistance to pay their mortgages and save their farms, but we couldn't get that government assistance for the most part. So we lose hundreds of thousands of acres of land. 
Okay, actually, mean about means of acres of land uh, because of this. And once again, racism is a system of advantage and privilege distributed based upon race. Okay, so I'm Michael M. Hotep, founder of the African History Network. A visit our website, AfricanHistoryNetwork.com, AfricanHistoryNetwork.com. Register for our online course, Ancient Kemet, the Moors, and the Ma'afa, Understanding the Transatlantic Slave Trade, what they didn't teach you in school. And um, remember, uh, right now, it corrects wrong behavior. It's not over till we win, and we'll talk to you next time. Peace.